0: What's up, guys? Welcome to the Engage JSU podcast. We are in an on-campus ministry here at Jacksonville State University. We want to see God's kingdom come here at JSU as it is in heaven. You guys got your Bibles? You can open those up to Mark chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight is in Mark chapter 2. Man, I appreciate you guys being here. If you don't know me, my name is Jesse I am the college pastor here, and we are so happy that you decided to spend your Monday night here with us. Um, And so tonight, we are going to continue in our series called Miracle Worker. We've been spending our last couple weeks in this series, and so this is night three. And if you haven't been with us, don't worry, because I'm going to do a quick recap, get you caught up. So the first night, we looked at Jesus turning water into wine over in John chapter 2. And we talked about this idea that a miracle is when God changes what's unchangeable, or God comes and he redeems a mess. And so we kind of ended that night by talking about how miracles live in too late moments. Right? They happen when the wine has already run out. They happen when Jesus was already in the grave. Right? They happen when the person is already born, born blind. So what that means is if we find ourselves in these situations that seem hopeless, that seem like there's just no good way or no way anything good can come of this, then we're in the position where God is going to show up and do a miracle in that moment. And so last week, we talked about how as we live in these too late moments, as we wait for a miracle, what do we do? And we looked at Mark chapter 4, where Jesus calms the storm, and we talk about how because he has peace about your situation, that you can too. And so as we ask for miracles, as we wait to see what God does, we can live with the sense of peace because God is in control and that he cares about us. And then tonight, we're going to talk about Mark chapter 2. And there, we're really looking at this, this idea that what should we expect? What should we expect in these two late moments when we're wanting a miracle? And so if you don't have your Bibles with us, we got the verses on the screen, so feel free to follow along with us there. But we will be in Mark chapter 2 if you want to open up your Bibles or turn those on. So a few years back, uh, my wife and I bought a house for the very first time. And when we did, very shortly, I realized there was something really weird about this house's back door that led to our porch, something I'd never seen in the house before, because it was a door where if you locked the handle to go outside, like if you locked the door handle, the outside was locked, but the inside wasn't. I don't know if that makes any sense, kind of like a hotel room. Is that better? You know, a hotel room how you can get in, you can't get in, but you can leave it. And so I'd never seen that in a house before, where one side is always unlocked and the other side locks based upon you turning the knob. And so at first I thought this was kind of cool, because like, we could constantly keep our door locked. But whenever I wanted to go outside, I didn't have to go through the task of turning that little knob and opening it, right? Because obviously, <laughs> obviously that's a lot, right? Let's be honest. Um, and so I thought it was pretty cool, but I very shortly realized that this little, cool, neat door had a very big downside because one evening after dinner um, my wife was taking our dog out and she was going out the back porch and because I like spending time with my wife I followed her and so I was walking and she goes outside now to habit I just kind of grabbed this door and swing it closed behind me and my wife notices it and she turns around and she said no no don't close it because what I didn't realize since I could turn the handle was that the door was actually locked and by doing that, I locked us out of our house with our almost one year old still inside. And so of course we're like, okay, 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 what do we do? 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 What do, we do? What's going on? What's going on? What happened? What's the name came right, I mean we just have no idea what to do. I mean, we literally have nothing that we can use, no spear key out, nothing to get into the, inside the house. And I feel like whenever you lock yourself out of something, you always go through the same like progression of thought. So the first thing you do is you say, okay, maybe I was careless, and maybe I've left something open, right? Maybe another door, maybe a window, maybe the top of the roof. I don't know, just something that I've left open so I can get back into this house. And so then once you go around and you check everything and everything's locked, right, then you just get mad at yourself for being so responsible, right? You're like, man, how can I be such an idiot to want to protect my family so well, right? Right? And so then after that, kind of the next step is you try to use something to kind of wedge the door open, like a knife or a card. Of course, we don't have that, but I do have like a toy shovel that's sitting out there. <laughs> and, so, and so I take the toy shovel, and, and I try to kind of jam it in and, and try to get it to, to go. And uh, pretty quickly, my hopes of that working snap in two because the shovel does. Um, so that didn't work very well. And so then after that, you start to get desperate, right? because nothing's unlocked, you don't have any kind of tool to open it, so then you kind of feel like your last resort, resort is like vandalism, like that's how you can get in there, and so it's like, oh okay honey, you know, I was hoping it wasn't going to come down to this, but I did get a yellow belt in first grade, and so <laughs> right now, now it's time to get this door open and so as I was like, honestly, I was willing to, to like break into this door, break the glass to get into this and my wife's like, hey Chuck Norris, real quick um, laughter before you do that uh, why don't you send a text to our neighbor because he was a friend of ours he lived literally right next door to us and see if he's home and maybe he can have, help us out right so so I send the guy the text I'm like hey dude quick question how comfortable are you with committing felonies um, and the guy's like yeah yeah you come to us. okay cool so um, come on over And so the guy comes over, and what was amazing to me is this guy was not annoyed. He did not seem like he was inconvenienced, right? He was so willing and eager to help us out. And so he shows up with his credit card that he has, and he starts jamming in the door, right, and just doing all this stuff with it to try to get it to go. And then about halfway through, the thing snaps. But, like, the dude doesn't care. He just pulls out another one. Like, let's go, right? And so he keeps going at it, right? He, like, really enjoys breaking to my house, like, maybe too much. And, um, and just really just gets to the point that he finally wedges it, hits the lock, and opens it up. Right? So we, like, celebrate. You know, our, our one-year-old son is still alive, so we'll chalk it up for a win. Um, you know, we're just ec- ecstatic that we finally get to get into this house, right? And I'm, like, as you can imagine, in this moment, I am just extremely thankful for this guy. Because I really had no idea how we were going to get into this house. But this guy was so willing and so eager to step up, right, to come over and to do what he could to get us into this house. And because he did, right, we avoided a catastrophe and me probably breaking my hand trying to get into this, to this door. And see, in our passage tonight, we see something similar. And what I mean by that is in our passage tonight, just like that friend of mine was eager to step in and to help me out in that desperate time of need. We see there's some other friends in this story who are also willing to step up and help somebody else when he finds himself in, in a really difficult situation, when he finds himself very desperate for somebody to help him out. And so we're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 2, and we're going to walk through this and see who this guy is that needs help and what his friends do to help him out. All right, so let's begin reading, beginning in verse 1 of Mark chapter 2. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And so Jesus' popularity obviously is booming, right? That's kind of a really big theme at the beginning of Mark, is that Jesus is really popular. And he's so popular that this house is packed out with people, because everybody wants to hear him teach. Everybody wants to be around this guy. And so as Jesus is in their teaching, there's these four guys that show up to the party kind of late, and they're there because they have a friend who's in pretty bad condition. Or the guy's paralyzed, he can't walk. In fact, because he's being carried by other people and he's not crawling, there's a good chance that this guy could barely even move. So this guy's in a really difficult, messed up, too late situation. But these friends of his, man, they've heard about what this guy Jesus can do, right? They've heard about the miracles that he's performed. And so they're just hoping that they can bring their friend to him, that Jesus once again can do a miracle to help this guy out. But when they get there, there's a problem, right? right? There's no way that they can get this guy to Jesus. And so what they decide to do is to get creative. Because this is what we see in verse 4. It's just as they could not get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. I mean, think about how crazy this plan is. I mean, how, how ridiculous this plan probably sounded and then the fact that they implemented it right. And the reason that they could do this was because houses back then either had a stair or a ladder that led up to the roof is where people would often go to sleep at night if it was really hot or maybe put out some laundry for it to dry. And so these guys take advantage of that, and so they carry their friend up there, they get on top of this roof, and then somehow and in some way they start destroying it. And they manage to dig a big, a big enough hole in this roof that they can take this full-grown man and they can lower him down to Jesus to get him right in front of the person that they want him to be in front of. I mean, this plan that these guys do, these four guys do, show how desperate and relentless they are to get this guy who's paralyzed in front of Jesus. I mean, they are not letting anything get in their way. Because these guys know that this is it. These guys know that this is their only chance to allow their friend to have a normal life. because they know that this condition, this disability that this guy has has taken everything from him. And we know that because actually the Greek word for mat in this verse means a poor person's bed or mattress. So this guy doesn't have anything. This guy has nothing. This disease, this this being paralyzed has taken everything from him. And so his friends know, they know that this is their only chance because they are tired of seeing this guy suffer. Man, it bothers them so much that day after day, probably even year after year, they've seen this guy and the pain that he's been in. And now they care so much about him. They love this guy so much that they're willing to do literally anything, even committing vandalism to somebody's home, to get this guy in front of Jesus. And we we, we know how these people feel, don't we? We can totally relate to this because we also know what it's like to see somebody we love that's in a really bad situation. And we know what it's like to see that person suffering and how much it hurts us to see this person hurting so badly. Like when a disease brings our grandmother so much pain because her body is just deteriorating because of it. Or the time in our life that we see our parents depressed because they lost a job, a dream job, and they know that it's no way they're going to get it back. Or when a family member or a friend is grieving because even though they've tried and they've tried and they've tried, they can't get pregnant. And we've all been in situations like that before. And when we are, we do exactly what these guys do in the story. We go to Jesus. Right, we come to him in this too late moment because we want him to do something. And every time that we do this, there's always something specific that we need him to do. Always something specific that we need him to do in this situation. Whether that's cure cancer, whether that's give our parent the job back, whether that's allow this couple to get pregnant. Right, There's always something specific that we need Jesus to do in that moment. Just like the guys here in this story. Because the reason they're going to all this trouble, the reason they've spent all this time, the reason that they've dug this giant hole in a roof is because they need Jesus to do a miracle. They need Jesus to heal their friend. And so, as they finally get this guy in front of Jesus, he decides to throw a complete curveball. Because this is what we see in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Just think about the scene and what's happening here. Right, there's a giant hole in the roof because these guys have destroyed it, right? They've managed to find a rope to get this guy, and he is sitting there right in front of Jesus. And the eyes of all these people in this packed out house are looking right at him. And as Jesus turns and looks at this guy lying there, everybody in the room is on the edge of their seat because they're watching, because they're expecting Jesus to heal this person who obviously needs it. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, Jesus says something that he's never said before. Jesus does something that nobody in the room saw coming. He tells this man that he, Jesus, has forgiven his sins. A statement that is so offensive, a statement that is so surprising that it sets off some very important people in the room. Because this is what verse 6 says. It says, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so when Jesus says this, there's these religious elite people of this day here in this room. Known as the scribes. And they cannot believe what just happened. Because as they sit there, they were expecting Jesus to heal this guy. But instead of doing that, Jesus does something and claims to do something that only God can do. And so if these guys were expecting Jesus to do a miracle, but didn't like what they saw, then there's a good chance that the four friends who brought this paralyzed guy there felt the same way. Or at the very least, they were confused or just disappointed, right? Right? Because in this moment, Jesus doesn't do what they needed him to do. I mean, the whole reason they've gone to all this trouble to get Jesus, get this guy in front of Jesus isn't because Jesus could say, your sins are forgiven, right? Because probably like the scribes, they're a little bit skeptical that that really can happen anyways. Because again, only God can do that. The reason they got this guy here is because they want Jesus to heal him. They need Jesus to give this guy a normal life. So, as they stand on top of this house and they stare down at Jesus, their friend still can't walk. He still doesn't have a normal life. And that pain that he experiences every single day still hasn't gone away. And so, as they stand there expecting Jesus to do something, he chooses to do something else instead. And so what these guys were looking for in this too late moment isn't what they got. What these guys were looking for in the midst of what was happening to their friend isn't what they were hoping to see. So here's the thing. Because everybody in this room was so focused on what Jesus was saying, they all missed what Jesus was actually doing. See, the people were so caught up in seeing Jesus do something very, very, very specific here that they don't realize what Jesus does in this moment was a miracle. By forgiving this person's sins, Jesus was committing A miracle. And see, so often we make the same mistake, right? Because when we come to God, we have a very specific request. When we come to God, there's a very specific thing that we want Him to do in this difficult situation, right? But so often, God doesn't do what we want Him to do. So often, He does something instead that is confusing, or for honest, is just straight up disappointing. Right? The cancer gets worse. The child never comes. And that job goes to somebody else. So many times what we need Jesus to do, what we want Jesus to do in that moment, he doesn't do. But see, just like this story, when this happens, Jesus might be doing something else. A miracle might be taking place somewhere else, but we just don't realize it. Jesus might be doing something in the midst of this situation, we just can't see it. Just like these people couldn't see it. And see, because of that, in our lives, miracles are often missed. Miracles are often missed in our lives. They happen, we just don't realize they do. They take place, but we're looking somewhere else. And see, the reason that we often miss miracles is because in our life, we often confuse needs and wants. I heard somebody say that one time, and it has stuck with me ever since because it's so true. We confuse needs and wants. Because when we really want something badly to happen, we really want something to happen in our life, we get to the point that we start to realize or start to think rather that this has to happen right? We need this to happen. And so, so often we go to God in the midst of a too late moment, in the midst of a situation where our friend is hurting and something is taking place and we go to him, we feel like we need him to do what we want him to do in this situation, that we need him to answer our prayer if this situation is going to get better. But that's not true. Because God knows what this person needs. So much better than we do. And so we might really want this to happen to them, right? We might, or they might even really want this to happen to themselves. But they don't really need it. But see, so often we confuse needs and wants. And so the guys in this story, right, when they brought their friend before Jesus, they really wanted him to be healed. But what this guy actually needed was for Jesus to forgive his sins. And Jesus knew this. But like them, so often we get so caught up in that very specific thing that we want to happen that we miss what Jesus is doing somewhere else. And so as this room and this story is filled with people who are appalled or Discouraged or disappointed or even confused, Jesus decides to use this as an opportunity to show everybody what they just missed. Because this is what he says in the next verses. It says, Immediately Jesus knew his, in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? He says, Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. So what's easier? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, right? Because there's no way to prove whether or not that actually happens, right? There's no way to prove when somebody says that, that it really took place. So That's why it's easier to say. You see, Jesus knows that, and that's the point. It's a spiritual statement. And so, because of that, Jesus perfectly sets up what he's about to say next. Because in verse 10, look at what he says. But I want you to know, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, And walked out in full view of all of them. And please do not miss what is happening in this story. Because what we see here is that the whole reason that Jesus does this physical miracle now and not at first. Is because he wants to prove that this spiritual miracle took place. But he purposely didn't do what they expected at first. Because he wanted them to know something. He wanted them to know something about who he was. That he, just like God, has the ability to forgive sins. Because that is who Jesus is. So you can imagine how powerful this moment was in this room. When everybody was sitting there skeptical of what was taking place. And Jesus says these words, and this man gets up from his mat, and he walks. Because what Jesus was showing here to the scribes who were doubting, and to the friends who were relentless to get that person in front of him, is that he isn't just some healer. Instead, he is so much more than that. Jesus was making it clear to every single person in the room that he was God himself in the flesh who was standing right in front of them. So in this story, Jesus does two miracles, doesn't he? But notice which one's more important. The only reason that Jesus does the physical miracle is to show that this spiritual miracle actually happened. And so what he shows us here is that being forgiven is so much better than being healed. This spiritual miracle is so great that it overshadows the physical one that happens. And so often when we want God to show up in our too late moment and to do a miracle for us, we forget this we forget how important spiritual miracles are because what we're wanting to do in that moment is we're wanting to see something physical, right? When we think about a miracle, we think about something physical. We think about God doing something that we can put our hands on, right? We think about a positive pregnancy test. We think about an email that says you got the job, right? We think about these physical things in our life, a report that says cancer is is not there, right? We think about these physical things, but what we don't realize is that these spiritual miracles are so much more important than that. Because God is so much more concerned about what's happening in our heart than what we can hold in our hands. And our spiritual life matters so much more than our physical one. And so, what that means is that for that person that you care about, that person that you see suffering and it breaks your heart, what that means is that there could be a miracle in the making in that person's life, but you just can't see it. Because it's not physical, it's spiritual. And the fact is, so many of us in this room have already experienced a miracle in our lives but we missed it because we're so focused on miracles being physical instead of being spiritual. Because some of you in this room, after years and years of either physical or emotional abuse, after years of living a miserable life, You find yourself at the point that you don't understand why and you can't really explain it, but the thought of that person used to disgust you, but now it hasn't. Now it doesn't. And you can't really explain why. But all you know is after so many years of pain and heartache, you've gotten to the point in your life that you now have forgiven that person. And now you can find yourself loving them, even though you used to hate them. It's because God showed up in the middle of that mess and in his goodness and his grace, he redeemed it. That's a miracle. For some of you in this room, your life was defined by what kind of drugs you did or what kind of drugs you sold. And when your life got bad enough, you got to the point that you realized the only thing that you could do was to end it. But then you found Jesus. And you went from hating everything to loving everyone. And there is literally no logical explanation to explain how that type of change would happen in your life. Because God showed up and he changed what was unchangeable. That's a miracle. And for so many of, other of us in this room, right, for so much of our life, we were running away from God. We wanted nothing to do with him. We were sprinting in the opposite direction because a church burned us or a person that we couldn't stand pressured us or whatever was going on in our life, we wanted nothing to do with him. And we were going as fast as we could in the other direction. But in that moment, God still pursued us and he still loved us. And because of that, a miracle happened. Because when he finally called us and he finally embraced us, the same words that he said to the man in this story are the same words that he spoke into our life when he said, Child, your sins are forgiven. when that happened, all those shameful things that we had done, all those things that we wish that we could take back, all those things that even today keep us up at night, he instantly forgave those. He instantly erased those. And even every single day when we fall short, he continues to forgive us. And in that moment, we went from spiritual death to spiritual life. In that moment, a miracle happened happened in our life. So what that means for us right now is in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever person you find yourself praying for, right? even if you can't see what God is doing, that doesn't mean he's not doing something. Because there could be a miracle in the making happening in that person's life, but you just can't see it. There could be a miracle in the making that's happening in your life, but you just can't see it yet. And so don't get so caught up on asking God for specific things. Don't get caught up on feeling like God has to, that God needs to do one thing to make this situation better. Because what we want to happen might not be what God needs to happen. Stone said, look around, see what God is doing and try to find out what he's up to. Because maybe like in this story, God will do that physical miracle that you're asking him to do. Or also like this story, maybe he'll do something spiritual that's even greater. But either way, he's doing something because he wants to teach all of us something in our too late moment. And that's that he is God and that we're not. And he is working everything out for our good and for his glory, no matter what. So what that means for you is that you keep praying for that friend. What that means for you is that you keep asking God for that miracle. But when you do, be patient, be open, be ready for what God might do that you don't expect. And whatever you do, as you wait, don't miss it. Don't get so caught up on that one thing that you want that you don't see what God is doing. Don't be like the people in this story. Don't put miracles in a box. Because that's not where they belong. Don't put miracles in a box. And tonight, that's my challenge to you. My challenge for you as you wait to see what God does. Don't put a miracle in a box. Don't think that he has to do one thing, that he needs to do one thing, when God can do so many other things to work in that person's life to make them look more like Jesus. Because that's what God is doing in the midst of all of our lives. God does miracles because he wants to point us to himself. He wants to show us that he deeply cares about us. He wants to show us that all those longings that we have, the reason that we feel empty inside is only something that he can feel. And he wants to show us that his love is better than life itself. So don't put miracles in a box. Instead, realize that even if you can't see it, God is still working in the midst of whatever you find yourself going through. So trust that. Be patient with that. And let's worship God because he is a miracle worker. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that this passage teaches us that you don't always do what we want, but you always do what we need. And so my prayer tonight, God, my hope tonight is that we would come before you With all of our messes, God, we would come before you with all of our difficult situations that would come before you with all of our too late moments where we feel like that hope is gone and we feel like we don't know know what's going on and that we're angry and upset and confused and disappointed because we felt like you should have done one thing, but for some reason you've done something else. My prayer, God, is that we would bring all of those before you and that we would say the phrase, God, that even if we can't see it, we know that you're working. Because you are so much more concerned with our hearts than you are with what we have. And so, God, my prayer is that right now that we would sing to you that right now we would worship you as a God who is a miracle worker, even if we don't see it in our lives. Because we know that we can always trust in what you're doing. And so may we sing to you right here and right now for our good, but most importantly,